Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Things here in the Direction Center are pretty good. November 1st is looming out there for all of us, but the conversations with students have been a lot of fun lately, and we'll be ready to send materials on time for students who have a November 1st deadline. Today, in part one of our conversation on financial aid, we talk with Carrie Harlow. Carrie Harlow is first and foremost a Red Hawk, and she is a financial aid expert with VSAC. She talks to us today about all things financial aid, and I think she said it best when she told us to have fun with the entire process. College applications and applying for financial aid are by far just super stressful. If we are only stressed when we work on these things and we are not having fun, we are hopeful that these conversations with Carrie will ease some of that stress for you all. Some important notes uh, from Carrie. VSAC is open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. to help students and parents with form completion. The last appointment on a Monday through Thursday is at 2. That is to make sure that there's ample time to complete all of the paperwork, all of the materials. VSAC is also currently hosting the incredibly alliterative FAFSA Fridays, I can say that 10 times fast, um, which is an opportunity for families to meet online remotely uh, to receive support with their FAFSA applications and forms with appointments running from 8.30 to 7.30. The latest uh, FAFSA Friday appointment can be scheduled at 6.30. And just to reiterate, those appointments are online only. There's several links posted in the show notes today, things like VSAC, the College Scorecard, FAFSA, the Federal Student Aid Estimator, um, the CSS profile school list and many more will be posted in the show notes for you all to access. Thanks and hope you enjoy the interview. All right, here we go. We are so excited to have um, Carrie Harlow from VSAC joining us for this podcast. This hey. podcast, hi Carrie. Carrie and I used to work together, so it's always nice to see Carrie again. We had a long history together at VSAC, so um, psyched to be working with you again, even for just a short podcast. It's awesome to be here. Um, financial aid, Carrie, you know, for a lot of people, you just say that term and people get scared, they get intimidated, they get overwhelmed. Um, like so we're me. like, it creates panic and anxiety. Yes. Or, or worse, people get sleepy. Like it's like, yeah. oh God, we're going to talk about finances, snooze. Yeah. <laughs> so, Carrie, we're counting on you today to sort of dispel some of those myths and some of those um, alleviate some of those feelings um, around and, financial aid. And not aid. put me to sleep. Challenge accepted. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so let me get started by saying, I just want to acknowledge, right? If you see any research, the thing that families fight the most about, folks, fight the most about in their lives is finances, right? So you already take something that's rife with potential conflict and you're like, here, let's take all this information and put it out there. So I just want to acknowledge that people can get stressed about this. And um, what I would recommend is, you know, as we're talking about this stuff, probably it's a good time to go to the herbal tea 
and not have any caffeine. Um, and we will try to keep it as calm as we can um, and, uh, you know, and be able to talk about that. But yeah, I just want to acknowledge that part of this is part of this is rife with potential to have conflict only because it's something that people find conflict with all the time is talking about money and finding agreement about money. So not to mention can, it's freaking expensive. Higher right. education is not cheap. Correct. And, and so some people feel like this is high stakes, right? What if I do something wrong? Yeah. Um, you know what I have found in my experience and, and, you know, it's been a few years doing this. My experience has been most people are making honest mistakes and almost all the mistakes that get made are fixable. Great. So, so take a little pressure off yourself, give yourself a little grace and let's go. All right, here we go. Let's talk about the forms. Like what, what do people need to be doing when, when you say financial aid, you got to fill out your, do your financial aid. What does that mean? So when we talk about financial aid, first off, there's two types of financial aid, right? There's need-based financial aid, which is based on the family's ability to pay. But there's this other type of financial aid called merit-based financial aid. And that's based on the fact that you might be a very good student or you might have a talent that colleges and universities are looking for. My stepbrother's oboe paid for his college education because the wind ensemble needed an oboist at his school. And so he ended up getting a scholarship. That was merit-based aid, as opposed to a family showing that they need the money. And the financial aid forms that we're talking about today are really the ways that families show they need money to help pay for school. So that is the need-based financial aid, as opposed to the merit stuff. So it makes me think, Carrie, before you jump into the forms, when people are creating their list of where they think they wanna to go to college, do they need to think about financial aid as part of that list? Oh, I would say definitely families need to think about financial aid as part of the list because most of us do not have the ability to pull out our checkbook and write a check for college. Most of us don't. There are some people who are fortunate enough to be able to, but many of the families I speak to are saying to me, wow, this looks expensive. So the first thing I want to tell you is in your discussions about college, cost and family ability to pay should come into play. And one of the tools that's out there that's really great is called the College Scorecard. And the College Scorecard is this great government site and it has information about colleges, including not what the sticker price of the college is, but what the average cost is for most people. And there's more information on that website, such as breaking out average cost by income bands, by family income bands. And you can get a closer look at, oh, people who made in this range, it actually costs them this. So I think that that's really helpful for families to use as a starting point when they're researching colleges is to use the college scorecard. Additionally, resource. I'm just gonna add one thing about the college scorecard. They have average starting salaries for graduates of that college and graduates in some cases of majors in that college. And one of, one of the guidelines that financial advisors say is that a student should not borrow more for college they, than they can reasonably expect to make their first year out. Oh, that's a good 
So this is my little wisdom that I'm going to drop on you is that students should not borrow more for college than they can reasonably expect to make their first year out. And using the college scorecard gives you that information when you're thinking about affordability. Because sometimes what students will say to me is, I'm just going to borrow the money. And the reality is that's possible, but you really need to think about borrowing responsibly. That should be like a little little insert in a fortune cookie. You open up your fortune cookie and that should be what you read. Um, and I'm just for all of the listeners out there, all 10 to 20 of you at the moment, um, <laughs> I'm going to make sure that there's a link to college scorecard in the show notes. So I'll make sure there's a link to things like VSAC, uh, the FAFSA, uh, as much as I loathe to do it, probably the CSS profile. And I'll put a link to uh, college scorecard as well. Wonderful. So, so I think that, you know, price, price for the family should be something that students and parents are looking at while they're thinking about their college list. Thank you, Carrie. Um, you want to jump into forms? You want to talk a little bit about forms? Sure. So th there's a number of different forms that students should be filling out. And I should mention the timeline for forms is a lot of these forms get filled out the senior year of high school. So as ready as you are, as anxious as you are, you can't fill out these forms before October 1st of the senior year of high school. And so the first form, the primary form is the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, F-A-F-S-A. -S -S -A. How You'll many times have you said that in your career? I, oh, if I had a dime for every time I said FAFSA, I think I could have paid for my kids' college education. <laughs> I'm sure. Maybe, maybe a couple times over. <laughs> maybe, because I say it a lot. Yeah. Um, but the FAFSA is the primary form for applying for financial aid. It is the form you use to apply for federal financial aid, like the Pell Grant and federal student loans. But also many colleges use the FAFSA for their own financial aid. And the Vermont State Grant Program also uses the FAFSA. So this is a multi-use document, very important for students to fill out. Okay, we'll put the link to the FAFSA on our in our show notes so people can access that at any Perfect. time. Perfect. And, and can I give you my FAFSA elevator pitch? Please do. Because at a lot of events, families will come up to me and they'll say, look, I don't think we're going to be eligible for anything. Should I really fill out a FAFSA? And my answer is, Absolutely, especially the senior year of high school. Let's let's figure this out. The FAFSA, even if all you want the student to have is a federal student loan, you have to fill out the FAFSA. Many colleges require that students fill out the FAFSA before they'll consider a student for their own financial aid. And the reason why is because they'd like students to exhaust all of their options, like federal and state aid, before they go looking for institutional money. And then the third reason is. Life happens. And when you have a FAFSA on file, when something happens, somebody loses a job, um, somebody has really high medical expenses suddenly that they need to pay, somebody has a situation where the roof blew off your house because of a natural disaster. With your FAFSA on file at the college or university, you can begin the discussion of how does this impact our financial aid rather than having to go back and file the form. Mm -hmm. So the FAFSA should be filed. And that's my elevator pitch. 
That's a great. That's a great elevator pitch. I like that, especially the last one, because you, you just don't know. Life does happen, and financial situations change, and you can always. It's always easier to start a conversation with something started than from zero and have to ramp yourself up to sixty in the middle of a semester or when things are already stressful enough. Thanks. Exactly. Exactly. And and I'm going to, as loath as I am to bring this up, because it seems like everything goes back to this discussion. But during the COVID-19 emergency, a lot of families had changes in their circumstances and really financial aid offices got tasked with revisiting all of this information, having that FAFSA on file made such a difference for those families. Thanks. The thing that I get confused and people confuse, well, I don't anymore because I worked at VSAC, but the difference between VSAC and the state grant application, like people were interchange. I have to fill out my VSAC grant or I have to fill out the Vermont state application. Can you talk about the difference between like what is VSAC and what is the state form and why is VSAC a part of it? Sure thing. What I can tell you is that VSAC is short for Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. We were founded in 1965 by the state legislature, but we are not a state organization. We're a nonprofit. And our mission is to help Vermonters find the, edu uh, find the financial and information resources they need to pursue education beyond high school. So that's college, but it's also short-term training programs. And we help people in a number of different ways, but VSAC administers the Vermont State Grant. And the Vermont Grant is free money to help students pursue their post-secondary education. So VSAC administers the program, but it's really the Vermont State Grant. And so people will, Susie, you're right, people will call it the VSAC Grant or the Vermont State Grant or the Vermont Incentive Grant. The Vermont Grant comes from the state of Vermont the legislature gives VSAC an appropriation every year, and that money is given out to students. And I should mention, the Vermont grant is totally portable. So what that means is students can use the Vermont grant both in Vermont, but also for studies outside of the state. Including Canada? Including Canada. Nice. Including our neighbor to the north. Um, the, the, the caveat is, that the Canadian school needs to be eligible for federal loans. And if the Canadian school is eligible for federal loans and has signed an agreement with VSAC, we're good to go. And so there's a number of Canadian schools we work with on a pretty regular basis at VSAC um, for state grant money. And Carrie, what happens if you, let's say you're just starting this process now and I mean, are there deadlines for financial aid, just like there are for colleges? Like, do people have to be paying attention to deadlines? And where do they find information on what needs to be, you know, put forth to FAFSA, the VSAC grant, and when? Sure. So colleges have their own financial aid deadlines. And some colleges have earlier financial aid deadlines. Some have later ones. What we recommend at VSAC is that Families go and look on college websites. Every college seems to have a financial aid website. And to go look and see what the deadlines are, find the earliest deadline and meet that one. There's no ad advantage to filing early other than congratulations, you have it done. 
you don't get more money if you file early. But if you miss a deadline, the way that colleges use their institutional financial aid is, if you meet the deadline, you're in consideration for the institutional funds. If you miss the deadline, a lot of times you're only eligible for what's left. And in this day and age, what's left isn't a lot. And when are those deadlines? Are there some that are coming right up? Are there some that are like in November? So some deadlines are coming up. And while I'm talking about deadlines, I'm also going to throw in another financial aid form here. I know which one. So this other financial aid form is called the CSS profile. And the CSS profile... <laughs> we're, we're we're here with don't look at the we, we have some looks on our faces over here that you know we're not not big fans no 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 it's it, let me say this um i have heard people say things about how the css profile is evil and it's painful and all sorts of things what i will say to you is the schools the colleges and universities that use the css profile oftentimes have a lot of financial aid at stake and what they're really trying to do is make sure that the money goes to the students who truly need it. And so they're asking deeper questions than the FAFSA. And yes, it can be annoying because it's a lot of information to compile, but really these colleges are making certain that the need-based financial aid goes to students who really need it um, and not to students whose families have a lot of very legal and very appropriate write-offs on their taxes, but really, isn't showing a good indicator of what the family's ability to pay is. So the CSS profile is actually free for families who make less than 150,000, or sorry, less than $100,000 a year. I almost gave them a promotion. Um, so if a family makes less than $100,000 a year, that CSS profile is free. If they make more, then there's a fee to file that form. And you only wanna file a CSS profile if it's required. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because there are earlier deadlines for students who are choosing to use this admissions process called early decision, right? You probably talked about this in your admission show, but early decision is that process where a student says, this is my first choice school. If I get admitted here, this is where I'm going. And a lot of times those early decision deadlines are in November. Sometimes there's early decision two that happens in December or January, but ED generally has a November deadline. And for early decision schools, many of those schools also require the CSS profile. So the FAFSA and the CSS profile have to be filed by that school's early deadline. And the reason why is because if the student gets accepted early decision, they need to have a financial aid notification with which they can make their early decision decision process for them. The only out for early decision is we can't afford this. Speaking of can't afford, one of the questions I have is what if, can you just, can you tell us what an EFC is? Okay. And what if your EFC says one thing, but your family finances and your ability to pay says something different? That, that's a great question, Susie. I, I love how you worded it. Um, when you file the FAFSA, at the end of the FAFSA, it says, congratulations, student, your FAFSA is filed. And in that confirmation, it has this thing called the Expected Family Contribution, or EFC. And let me say, the EFC is so grossly misnamed, right? It is not 
what you're expected to pay or what your family is expected to pay. The EFC is really a starting point and the starting point for colleges and for federal and state financial aid to determine eligibility. So this EFC, while at some point in time in the, in the way back past may have been what families could expect to have to pay, the EFC now might not be any of that. In my time helping families do a FAFSA, it is very rare to have a family look at an EFC and say, oh yeah, we could do that. Um, and even when families could look at it and say, we could do that because it was a super low number, sometimes there's a gap in the financial aid that's awarded and, and families aren't having to come up with a low number, they have to come up with more. So the EFC, it, it's this number and it's a starting point for awarding financial aid. And as a matter of fact, after this year, the EFC won't exist. If I want my EFC to be lower, do I take a bunch of money and put it under my mattress? Well, I would say that uh, one of the common myths about the EFC and about applying for financial aid is that assets really um, drive this financial contribution. And, and people will come up to me at events and say things like, you know, I've got some money in the bank. Do you think I should put a roof on my house? And I'm like, I, I don't know, is your roof leaking? Because really assets are heavily protected in this EFC calculation. And what I mean by that is that a parent's assets sometimes only impacts that EFC at a rate of something like six to 8%. So it's a very small amount. And I would rather have that money and be able to make a decision about what I can pay out of that than to spend down a lot of money to get my EFC lower, maybe get some more financial aid, but definitely not to the impact of having that money on me. So it's really important to keep that in mind that the assets are heavily protected in the financial aid process and in the determination of financial need. Really, you should not be spending down your assets in order to make your EFC smaller. If you have special circumstances, for instance, you have this EFC and you're like, but my income used, for instance, this year's application uses 2021 income. And some families have said, look, in 2021, I was able to work a whole lot of overtime because people were not working in my profession. And now people are back to work and I'm not making all that overtime anymore. If you have special circumstances like that, you want to communicate with financial aid offices. You can't change your FAFSA. But you can go in and send a letter or an email to the financial aid office and say, look, this information that you're using is really not a good indicator of what's happening right now. And anytime you can use dollar figures, that's helpful. So I think my income is going to be lower by $10,000 this year or $5,000 this year. Use that information. So Susie has tasked me with uh, the next question because she saw me falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm learning something, and I want before I ask the question she's tasked me to ask. I want to know if the EFC is going away. What's it? What's it changing to? What is that? What's happening? Well, with that? There's a couple of things. Um, the Heroes Act that was uh, passed in 2019 actually had FAFSA simplification in it, and then also there was the Consolidated Appropriations Act in 2020. 
And those two things are meaning that the FAFSA is going to get a lot simpler after this year. Woohoo! It'll go from 80 something questions to like 38. Wow. wow. And it will replace the EFC with this thing called a student aid index. And the student aid index, again, is the starting point for awarding financial aid, but it's not what your family has to come up with. So that will change for the 24-25 school year. But this year, we're still in the land of the EFC, and uh, we're filling out the old FAFSA. Okay, so I've had several students who kind of fall into this next question, Carrie. And can you define the term custodial parent on the FAFSA and how that can impact aid, especially if there's a non-custodial parent who refuses to do the FAFSA? And okay. does that non-custodial parent have to do the FAFSA? So those are all really great questions. And they're really common questions too, Russ. So you are not the only one wondering this. I'm sure people come into your office all the time and they're like, I don't, I don't know who's on the FAFSA. Yeah, I, um, I don't have any contact with my dad. My dad has no place in my life. I don't want that potential income impacting my award. Sure. And and so on the FAFSA, um, the, the parent is described as the biological or adoptive parent. And for a student whose parents live together, it is both parents on the FAFSA, regardless of their marital status. If it's a single parent or the student's biological or adoptive parents are divorced or separated, it's the parent the student lived with the most in the last year. If that parent has remarried, it's the parent and step parent. So when you the say FAFSA. the most, is that like 51%? Is that it is. Day. I think it's to the day. Like how it is to days? the day. Yeah. And and so if you called federal student aid, sorry, I'm we're listening to this. I'm actually making a phone motion with my hand. But yeah. if you called, <laughs> if you called federal student aid and you said we can't figure this out because it's 50-50, federal student aid has actually answered people and said, well, there's 365 days in a year. And unless it's a leap year, you have an odd number of days. But families, but families who are 50-50 will say to me, look, we split that day. It is right down the middle. And if it's right down the middle, the student lives with each parent 50-50. The next question asked is who provided more financial support in the last year? And what would that be? Well, it might be things like carrying the student on your health insurance. Or it might be um, supplying the student with a car and having them on your automobile insurance. So, so you, you have to get deeper if it's a 50-50 lived with situation, but you should be able to work that out. Um, and so it's either, it's that parent, right? If it's divorced or separated, it is that parent that the student lived with more, or if they lived with them the same, the parent who provided more financial support. And if that parent is remarried, it's the parent and step-parent. And we are going to trim the interview with Carrie there. We spoke with Carrie for nearly an hour, so there will be a part two likely next week. We've had a lot of positive feedback from students and adults uh, regarding podcast content and things they would like us to do. So there will be some interesting and fun interviews coming up with uh, some former students and some perhaps some local clinicians to talk to us about some topics 
that are of interest to all of us. So again, we thank you for your time. We thank you for listening. We thank you for sharing. And we hope that our efforts here have been helpful. Please feel free to leave us feedback. We greatly appreciate it. And we will see you all next time.